Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming. Host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic They make me feel polished and modern, and the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin, and so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands, and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers, and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z-ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white, open, long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out, Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. Sarah Thungam Matthews is the author of All This Could Be Different, a novel. Sarah grew up between Oman and India, immigrating to the United States at 17. 
Her work has been published in Best American Short Stories, and she is a recipient of fellowships from the Asian American Writers Workshop and the Iowa Writers Workshop. In 2020, she founded the mutual aid group Bed-Stuy Strong. All This Could Be Different is her first novel, and it is shortlisted for the National Book Awards, which will take place on Wednesday, November 16th. So stay tuned to see if Sarah ends up taking home the National Book Award. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss All This Could Be Different, a National Book Awards shortlist candidate. So congratulations. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to be here and be talking to you, Zibi. You too. Okay. So for listeners who don't know yet, what is your book about? All This Could Be Different is in in some ways like a classic coming of age story, but it also does some, you know, interesting and like slightly different things with the form. In a sentence, it's the story of Sneha, this young Indian woman who's fresh out of college, who moves to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a city where she knows nobody and reckons with over the course of a year and then some, but mostly over the course of a year, reckons with her first job, her first love and her first real friends. Wow. I have to say, Milwaukee came across as a pretty small town after uh, this book. How everybody she meets, she kind of sees again, or not everybody. (laughs) I've never actually been to Milwaukee, so this was really interesting for me. How did you pick Milwaukee? Well, I think there were sort of multiple pieces at play for me. I think one, you know, I lived in Milwaukee after undergrad. And it was a really important and formative time in my life. And one that at the time when I was writing this book in my late 20s, I finally felt like I had perspective on. So I think part of it was just like autobiographical inspiration. But I also really wanted to, in some ways, write a love letter to the city that I think is often underestimated and passed over, like much of the Midwest is when it comes to, I think, East Coast summations of the middle of the country. And then finally, you know, the Milwaukee has a very interesting political history and a radical political history. And that's something that comes up in the novel as well. How, what made you move there after undergrad? What, did, what were you doing? I took a job that required that I move there. You're going to stay vague about it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that, I, I mean, that that is the answer, you know? I think that there are many things in my novel that are drawn from and inspired by real life, but at the end of the day, it isn't a memoir. And so I'm, I'm thoughtful about how I, I talk about it. In so many ways, I really approached this novel, which is not the first novel I've ever written. It's just the first novel I've ever published. I've approached this novel with this question of what do I want other people to think about? You know, what do I want readers to think about much more than I thought about here? Let me tell some facsimile of my story. But yeah, I moved to, I moved to uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin to work much like my protagonist, a, you know, contract job as a consultant. Nice. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to pry. I, <laughs> it doesn't matter. And of course it's not a memoir. It's a, it's a wonderful novel and we can get back to that. <laughs> I was just curious. I was just totally curious. I went to business school and a bunch of people graduated and went there to work. So it was just, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Your novel deals a lot with relationships and sort of the hunt for love, acceptance, connection and all of that through many means, be it Craigslist or dating or walking for an hour to go to a bar that might be the right kind of bar. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about this sort of quest for belonging when you are a character of a a certain, I mean, it's honestly, it's not just her age. It's we all really look for love and belonging in such a human 
thing, but of course there's the overlay of her sexuality and she keeps it somewhat hidden at the beginning at least. And so much so that her good friend Tom is shocked by the news. Tell me about that and how, how you wrote about it, how she navigates it and, and all of that. Yeah. In a lot of ways, all this could be different is the study of sort of an essential paradox at the heart of one very specific person, right? Which is, this is someone who, for many reasons of personality and personal history and values that she was raised with, really moves moves through the world with this feeling of investment in what I call masculinity. You know, I think that she is somebody who struggles with a certain kind of emotional openness. She talks at various points early in the novel about believing things like sex, you know, are like private matters, you know, like, like basic functions of the body. At some point she like compares it, you know, to like using the bathroom and, you know, she basically, because she doesn't want to be known and in some ways like associates like real danger and pain with being known and being emotionally intimate, she really walls herself off. And at the same time, the paradox is she deeply wants to be known and wants to be loved. And in the course, over the course of the novel, I think you see the ways in which deep abiding relationships and honesty, first and foremost to one, with oneself and then with the people close to you, I think really enacts this like force of change in her life. And you you see all the ways in which she ends up a, a really different person, a changed person because of it. So I think that, yeah, there are a variety of ways in which you see Sneha, the main character, move when it comes to this question around connection, right? Like when she's going to the dike bar, when she's deciding to, you know, try out the newfangled invention at the time, because it's set in 2013. Yes. That is, dating, <laughs> that is dating apps that aren't Craigslist, you know, like the OpenCupid yeah. yep. and whatnot. You see her like trying this really flailing way to connect, you know? I, and I think in many ways, she's just, I think, acting on desire more than she's acting on our human need to connect and be emotionally intimate. But then you sort of see her change over the course of the novel. Me too. What do you think makes people feel more comfortable sharing, right? Like, do you think it was her, how she grew up? I mean, I know she's a fictional character, but let's psychoanalyze her. Why not? You know, what is it that makes, you know, some people feel like they have to put up these boundaries to our good friends versus not? Yeah, I think there are many pieces of it, right? I think the biggest determinant factor is, do we feel safe? Do we feel seen by certain people? Can we count on their continued witness? Can we count on them to show up for us? And I think the reality is that as a novelist, I'm a little bit wary of like a certain kind of really, really pat or like causal like psychological, you know, like psychological view of characters, especially when it comes to trauma. I think that while in so many ways, I'm really glad that we live in a world that compared to 10 years ago, there's a lot more openness and uh, mainstream awareness of, of trauma. I think that it can lead in life and in fiction to a certain kind of like one-to-one A to B you are this way because of exactly this thing that happened to you, you know, way of thinking, which I think flattens people. So I think that I, I, I think that with that being said, 
there are many ways in which Sneha, my protagonist, really deeply needs to heal. And you see parts of that healing in, in the book. And I think you have to make inferences at some of the healing that happens off stage during the parts of time period that that's not talked about. But ultimately, you know, the novel's title is All This Could Be Different. And it is one that sort of functions at a macro and structural level, but it also speaks to the main character's desire to, and like reckoning with changing internally, with leaving a certain kind of like shame behind, with leaving a certain kind of loneliness behind. And I think that has to do with choices. You know, I think that we as adults moving through the world, moving through, you know, a really like deeply capitalistic society with a great deal of loneliness are are asked to make some choices, you know, and answer some questions for ourselves. What are the relationships we want to have with other people? What does friendship mean for us in our individual lives? You had a really powerful scene where she walks in on her friend Tom sort of having sex with some woman who's laying down, she's standing up. This is now getting very, you know, explicit, so whatever. And she uses it as a referendum for an example of like all that is problematic, right? And that she rejects that the submissiveness of women and, you know, getting lost and sort of loss of identity sort of as a consequence of, of, of an overpowering relationship. Can you talk about that? Yeah, of course. So uh, for, for those who haven't read, it's not a huge spoiler. It's like a tiny scene. So I'll just talk about it. But basically what there's this like big, very fun to write for me, um, set piece of a house party in Milwaukee yes. um, right before Christmas. And a lot happens at this house party. Sneha eventually meets somebody who, you know, becomes her love interest. But before that, or, you know, independent of that, she has this big fight with her, with one of her two best friends, whose name is Tom. And Tom is like, you know, straight like, you know, straight white dude, bro, a little bit of a Bernie bro, who will. And she has this like massive fight with him and it's not something that's reconciled. And then later she comes back to the house looking for her keys. And she happens to like catch a glimpse of him having sex with his girlfriend. And what she says in that moment is, you know, she sees this again, like glimpse, you know, she's not like watching for like 10 minutes. She sees this like instant of a moment with her dear friend and the woman he's dating and the woman is like really passive and really quiet. And, you know, he's certainly, you know, the more active participant and she just feels this deep pain. And what she says is like, this is what everyone wants from me to, yes. you know, to be laid out before a man's hunger, to be taken, to be quiet. I think that it's not that the novel <laughs> thinks that, you know, heterosexual sex or sex where you know, a woman is submissive is bad in any way, but it's more that you see in this moment, this character's like piercing pain at a lifetime of being a gendered subject, you know? And, and Sneha is not like, she's not like super woke in any sense, you know, positive or negative. She is very much an every man in, in a lot of ways, you know, other than like, I think her queerness and her immigration status, like she just like wants to live a regular life and have some peace and be left alone. That's how she moves through the world. And I would argue that's on average how the majority of people move. But I think that she had this true moment of thinking about her parents' 
and her family and her culture and large parts of the culture that she's come into, American culture, that aren't okay with certain things about what she desires and how she wants to move in the world. And that's really what you see in that scene. Yes, you summed that up a lot better than I did. <laughs> but I knew you knew, you'd know what I was talking about at least. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's totally a thing, right? And I mean, I, I think that part of what the book is interested in is the reality that we all have specific desires, right? Like Sneha's desires are not going to be identical to her friend Tig's desires, are not going to be identical to your desires. And I think that the part of what the book, I think, cautiously argues in is that in paying attention, paying attention to the specificities of our desire, that, that can be part of the like the sharp edge of the wedge to finding a larger freedom. I think that Sneha over the course of the book, leaning more deeply into her queerness and not as this like hidden, you know, functional and almost like shameful thing, I think allows her to take certain kinds of like risks and engage in certain kinds of acts of imagination that are, I think, bigger and push against society in some like other bigger ways later down the line. So interesting. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Wait, so you mentioned earlier that this is your first published novel, not your first novel. I think many people can relate to that. Tell me about the journey to getting here and what the, what happened with the other ones and when you started writing novels and, and all of that. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep it short. I mean, I think <laughs> I have always loved writing, you know, I didn't necessarily, I grew up in a very particular place and context. I grew up in Muscat, Oman. I certainly, you know, like always loved books and reading. Um, I didn't have like a ton, you know, as much access to books as I would have liked, but they really were this like portal for me, a very like quiet, shy, you know, kid um, to learn about the world, to learn about people, you know? And so I've always loved books. I've always wanted to write but I never necessarily thought about it as a career 
for until like maybe my mid twenties. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with sort of like immigrant child of immigrant things, you know, and, and the sort of my, my own relationship with like certain kinds of risk and ambition for myself. But, you know, I wrote my first like complete novel when I was like 16 and like showed it to like my three best friends at the time. And like, we all, like, I, I really never thought about getting it published or what have you. I wrote it because I wanted to read it. And I think that's sort of fundamentally how it, I have continued to approach writing at some level. But at some point I thought, okay, I actually want to write a book that other people can read. And for seven something years, you know, over the course of my twenties, I worked on this like big doorstopper immigration novel. And in many ways that novel like showed me how to write a novel in the sense that I made every kind of mistake one could possibly make while writing it. (laughs) And so at some point I think I was faced with the reality that I needed to like start it like throw it away and start it again from the beginning in order for it to make it work. And and that didn't feel like a great idea for me, partly because I'd sort of moved on from the emotional questions that I was holding most deeply at the time I was writing the novel. So I decided to put it away and work on something new. And that something new became All This Could Be Different, which I kind of like wrote in this like wild fever dream, you know, mostly over five months in 2020. And I felt very... I felt obsessed with all this could be different when I was writing it. It felt more real to me than my real life. And I also felt, you know, I wrote, I wrote that novel while on pandemic unemployment, you know, because I had lost my income because of COVID. So it really, I think, came from this place of urgency as well. And how did you go about getting an agent and getting it published? What was that like? I think that Sorry, I had like a moment of being like, how how did I do that? Like, (laughs) how did you ever feel this way? But it feels like ever since, for me, ever since the pandemic in particular, time just is this weird lava lamp where I'm like, what what did happen? And (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, but basically I came to the end of, you know, writing this book. I showed it to a bunch of my like friends and close people, you know, to get their feedback. And I thought, I think what felt so, notable to me was like how much I loved the manuscript. It had been such a long time since I'd written something that I loved and felt proud of. It's like not a feeling that comes super easy (laughs) to me. And so I was, I just, you know, at the same time that I was incorporating the sort of first rounds of like feedback from my people, like people in my life, my first readers, I thought, okay, you know, my like savings, which are not substantial to start with because I had, you know, like recently come off of two years of an MFA, which is like possibly one of the only, only graduate degrees that like lowers your earning potential. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so I, you know, just felt like I had like a very short runway. And so I was just like moving as fast as I could in all these ways. And so I had made a list of agents and while I was making, you know, like incorporating my friends' feedback. I feel like I was reaching out to everybody I knew through the internet in some way or through my MFA program to ask if they liked their agents. And and one person, you know, was like, I really, like, really love my agent, Bill, and I think you should consider talking to him. And so I reached out to him and, you know, I, was all, I also talked to like a couple of other people, like a couple of other agents and I really felt a deep connection to Bill, who, you know, is 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 and was my agent and I think really cared 
as cared for this book and believed in it in a way I needed, you know, I think there were so many ways in which I was like really lonely in my writing life because of, I think, feeling a sense of failure around the past project for so long. So yeah. And then Bill and I worked to edit the novel over three weeks and then he was like, let's go. And he, you know, took it to a bunch of publishing houses and then it got bought um, by Viking right before right before Christmas of 2020. So it was really this like wild wow <laughs> that I think you know only was made possible by so many circumstance like circumstantial things, you know, everything from COVID to this huge worry I had about paying my own bills. Like I think all these things like really contributed to me trying to like write as fast as possible. I'm so glad that worked out. That's such a great success story. I love it. So efficient. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a complicated thing to talk about, you know, because I think it's totally true for me to say that it took me like eight years to write all this could be different because there's no way I could have written it without the like previous, you know, the the previous project and everything it taught me. It just like informed so many decisions I made. Yeah. It's almost impossible. Like, I feel like anyone who writes a first novel, you should just be like, this is your practice run. <laughs> like what makes me, you know, you, you wouldn't like try to play a whole tennis match without playing tennis a little bit, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You need a little, you need a little practice. Yeah, no, I think it's so true. And I think the the really, I, I do agree that that's something that we should tell people more because I think that there's something very painful about letting a first novel go. And I think a lot of that for many people has to do with like the emotional investments. Like often we start writing novels because of things we hold very closely and deeply. That's true. There should be like a special word file for just the first novel. <laughs> I mean, like it's a different color or something. Totally. Yeah. But, you know, I say all that. I, I think it's like also good for me to remember the way that is. it's good to not over extrapolate from one's own experience. You know, the fact of the matter is like there are a ton of like incredible debuts from people who, you know, like they, they did publish the very first novel they wrote, you know, that's true. I know that's, that's amazing. It just, I know. And we will try not to hate them. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Are you working on a new book now or do you have another one coming out soon or what's the deal? Um, I'm not under contract for anything. My, you know, my personal beliefs, I need to like write something that I like enough before I let anyone else see it. I've gotten a little bit more like superstitious with writing. So I'm working on what I hope will be a new novel, but it doesn't, you know, I've not sold it or anything, mostly because I need to finish writing it. (laughs) And then just what was it like finding out you were nominated for the National Book Award? I mean, I cannot express enough, like, like I can, I cannot express sufficiently how shocked I was. And I don't mean that in like a sort of like fake humble way. You know, I think that I had dreamed big for this book in certain ways. You know, I hoped for certain kinds of reviews. I hoped for certain kinds of attention for it. And I think that maybe as far as like prize stuff. I think I'd maybe hoped for some like small stalwart, like first novel, like appropriate awards. And so, yeah, there are all these ways in which like the National Book Award was really not on my radar. And so, yeah, I came back from, I have a little like balcony garden and I came back from like pruning these like roses that I'd planted, you know, in memory of my grandfather who I lost last year and who was, you know, really important to me and who taught me how to read. And I came back 
you know, to my phone inside my apartment and just saw like a bunch of missed calls. <laughs> and it's very revealing in a comical way of how my brain is constructed that I thought, oh my God, something terrible has happened. And so I called my agent, Bill, and he was, and my first question was, what's wrong? You can tell me. Yeah. <laughs> and he told me, you know, what he said was, oh, you don't know. And then he said, you're longlisted for the National Book Award. And I just burst into tears. Like, you know, it was a very clearly like having to do like some shh over the phone. So yeah, it was pure comedy, pure clownery on my part. But it also, it was a very me way to respond to the news and find out about Aww. the news. <laughs> Oh, what a scene. <laughs> that can go in your next novel. There you go. Let's start jumping off point. Well, I'm so excited for you. And I will actually be there, but you'll be the belle of the ball. But maybe I'll wave from... Uh... <laughs> Would love to, you know, meet in person and say yes. hello. Well, I'll be rooting for you. And just what an honor and so exciting and yeah, really no, inspiring. And I mean, so Yeah, I mean, I think I spent a lot of time just talking about like the shock of it and the, you know, sort of like narrativized piece of all of this. But, you know, what I feel now is that it's an intense honor I'm like crushed with gratitude and I really like it's so cool like I'm saying this like very genuinely like it's so cool to be part of this particular cohort both of longlisters and shortlisters like I have not read every single book on the longlist but I've read like a few of them and um, I'm you know en route to read more and they're all so insanely talented like it just it, it feels very cool to be in this company I think it's a big part of what I feel and I don't know, it's also not lost on me that, you know, it's been rare to have this many like South Asian finalists and, you know, no, like no South Asian writer or writer of South Asian heritage has ever won the National Book Award. So I just feel like there are all these ways in which, you know, regardless of what ends up happening, <laughs> you know, that the night of the announcement, it feels less like this individual achievement. And I feel more aware of like, you know, this is one more, this is one more move on the part of a certain kind of like collective of writers and people. And it's one that I feel happy and, you know, proud to be part of. Wonderful. Well, you should. It's great. <laughs> well, thanks for chatting today. Thanks for a lovely conversation. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.